Awesome. Thank you, Erin. Uh, okay, good evening. Today is Tuesday, November 16th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is A Vision for You. Um, and our speaker tonight is Nancy P. Thank you, Nancy. Go for it. Um, hi, Nancy P. from West Newton, Massachusetts, recovered. So, um, you know, I was sort of skimming through the chapter so that I would sort of know it a little better, or, you know, be able to refer to it. Um, and, you know, the chapter is full of ifs, you know, if Bill hadn't gone to, to uh, wherever, Cincinnati or whatever, Cleveland or wherever he was, you know, if he hadn't gone there, if he hadn't, you know, been in that particular bar, if, 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 and then all the other people that they helped, it was sort of kind of a slog in the beginning. I mean, never mind that it was a slog getting sober, but it was kind of a slog. You know, they had seven people at the end of several months, you know, they, you know, the wife comes and hardly dares hope and, you know, and they all turn out to be okay. But, you know, my personal story, you know, so this is, this is about like, you know, you're sort of on the, on the hilltop and there, you know, the shining city on the hill, you can go look in the horizon and see nothing but wonderfulness in front of you if you get to this point. And so, um, you know, I got to say that it took me a really long time to get to this point, but I believe that I got to where I needed to be when I needed to be there at the very right time, because, um, some of you know, some of you might not know, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for 50 years, since 1971. And, and you know, um, the way that I got there was that when Bernice S. moved from L.A. to Boston or to the Boston area, Framingham, Massachusetts, to be exact, she put an ad in the Framingham Middlesex News, and my mother answered that ad in 1966. And the two of them basically spread the word. And, you know, my mother was kind of a rock star in the day, back in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. And, um, you know, she went through the hotel, through the hotel, she went through the house like a sober tornado. You know, she got rid of every, you know, uh, scrap of, you know, leavening <laughs> or sugar flour, anything. You know, she could probably have hired herself out to clean people's houses for the, for the Passover if she needed to. She was so good at that. And so I grew up, I never had a French fry or a potato or a, you know, cookie or, you know, we just didn't have that. We had fruit for dessert. You know, we just never had it, but it just goes to show you that you can, it doesn't matter because I was a compulsive overeater. And then, you know, my mother and all her, what I called her dumb friends, they all got together and decided that it would be great if their offspring could join this young people's meeting. And I still have the format that they wrote for us on brown and yellow construction paper because my sister made it and all the things were mimeographed and stapled to it, you know? And, um, you know, we used to read that thing to each other, but I was only 11 and 11 year olds. I this 11 year old couldn't, I couldn't like, I never have felt comfortable with, with God, the word God or what it means and all that never. Um, but, you know, I went because the other kids were nice and, you know, they were kind of not really friends, but, you know, it was fun to hang out with them. And, and none of us ever lost any weight, to my knowledge, except for one girl. But she never went to the young people's meetings. She only went to the grown up meetings. Um, so anyways, you know, I had ample my pedigree is what I would call platinum. I mean, I had ample opportunity and of the highest caliber to get this message. And I could not do it. And, you know, I had plenty of um, opportunities in my life to 
come to believe that I, that I needed something besides my own thinking process to help me. And, you know, age appropriate ones, you know, I, I, when I was in high school, I got in a car accident every weekend for two months and I totaled each of my parents' cars twice. So that was like a clue that my, um, that my thinking wasn't very good before that, you know, when I was only 14, I met some guy at my uncle's delicatessen and, you know, I didn't run off with him, but he was like this insane, crazy person. And I brought him home to meet my parents. I thought they were going to have a heart attack. And, um, you know, like I did stuff like that all the time. And I never, it never occurred to me that um, anything was wrong. I just thought they were all, that they all sucked. And that I hate, you know, I didn't hate them, but I was like, leave me alone and let me just be alone and do what I want to do. And then when I got into high school or in the sort of in the middle of, you know, that the car accident things, um, you know, that did, um, stretch over the four years or three years after I got my license, I guess, as I was productive. And, um, you know, I went to diet workshop, I went to Weight Watchers, you know, and I was, the, I was, you know, I lost a lot of weight really fast in uh, the first time that I went after that, no, no weight, no weight loss. And I went to OA, you know, in the grown up meetings. And, you know, I wasn't like obese then, I was maybe 20 pounds overweight, but 20 pounds on a five foot, two and a half inch frame is a lot, you know, so I was, you know, overweight, but not obese. And um, I, you know, when I had gone to diet workshop, I graduated from high school, I was then for the summer, and I went to college dry cleaned, right, I took up the plastic bag off, went to the dining commons and gained 67 pounds over the next four years. And so that sort of, you know, my mother never said a word, you know, she didn't roll her eyes or say eating again or anything like she never, ever, ever would say anything like that. But I had graduated and I couldn't get a job. I was 185 pounds and, you know, angry and, you know, it was just awful. And so she packed my meals, put my dinner in front, down on the table in front of me and I lost a lot of weight but it didn't do me any good because I didn't have any, you know, I couldn't, I could kind of feel the spiritual stuff, like a, like a little cloud around me. But I, you know, I was, I was like, like, what's all the smoke? I got to get the smoke away from me. And that's what I treated like, like, get this away from me. I don't want just be, you know, I'll just go to a wicked lot of meetings and, and that didn't help. And, um, you know, I thought I was in a thin period. My mother had a stroke. This is a catastrophe. She had a horrible, horrible stroke. She, they call it a bleeder. She bled all night long before somebody found her. And she was horribly brain damaged after that. Um, she never walked again. She could talk, but her memory, she had stroke-induced dementia. And I swear to you, I never thought I was going to stop crying over that. And I thought, surely this is my, is my bottom. Surely. But it was not. That's why I say the elevator only goes down. You know, I got married. I managed, I say this, I managed to marry the, a guy that if I could have picked him out of, from a script, I couldn't have done as good of a job. He, you know, the two most significant relationships that I'd had, one was a guy that was gonna hit me and the other guy was on parole from a maximum security prison in Florida, two counts, 25 and five for drugs. That's what my best judgment in Overeaters Anonymous, abstinent only, that's what my best judgment was. And I don't begrudge anybody a girlfriend, but nice Jewish girls from the suburbs, we don't date people like that. And um, I later found out that he died in some horrible way. So that was, you know, again, Nancy's thinking, you know, and then, you know, my mother, I got married and, 
you know, I've been married, it'll be 34 years. I have two beautiful children, just like Fred, two beautiful children of college age. Nobody likes me though, unlike Fred, but um, like some people like me, but I'm not extremely likable. Um, on this, you know, like immediately. And, um, you know, I, I, I was chugging along and I was in, um, you know, up and down, up and down, and I would be eating. And, you know, in, in Bill's story, it talks about the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning. And then here in the first page of A Vision for You, it talks of the four horsemen, you know, um, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. That about sums it up. And that was my resting state. That wasn't just after I woke up. That was like, didn't matter what I was doing. If I was not eating, I, was, I felt that way. If I was eating, I felt that way. I couldn't escape. And then um, when my daughter was in preschool, the head of the preschool decided she didn't like the way I talked to my daughter. So she called uh, the Department of Children's Services and reported me. And um, I got to say that, you know, I was a yelling mother. I didn't hit my kid but I yelled at her all the time. And um, when I found out that she did that, I was just, I mean, literally I was in my car screaming and shrieking and pulling at my clothes. I couldn't believe it. I was so humiliated and ashamed. But it turned into nothing. I, as it happens, I was going to back then there weren't very many OA big book step study meetings. So I was going to an AA one. And one of my friends there was the head of all the people that checked out the houses, whatever that position is. So I saw him at a meeting. He told me to call him at work. And he said, no, it's not written down anywhere. It's, it's, it's not on any record. It's, there's no record of it. But, you know, that was not a wake-up call for me. Like, that was not a wake-up call for me. So, you know, eight car accidents, my mother's stroke, my daughter's you know, the first time that I ran into trouble as a horrible, disgusting excuse for a mother, none of that was enough. And then, um, you know, if, most people know that my daughter started cutting and burning herself when she was about 14. And that was the straw that broke, finally broke the camel's back. You know, I didn't know what powerlessness meant until I had to put bacitrace and ointment on her own self-inflicted wounds. I was sobbing over her guts. Sorry. You know, sobbing over her arms when she just stared at me. And um, and I know that she didn't want to, I, I feel like she didn't care, but I know that she cared, but she was consumed with her own pain, the same as I was. And I couldn't do anything for her. You know, I um, I couldn't, and I couldn't stop eating. I wasn't even chewing my food. I was, you know, every day on the way to work, I would stop and buy a dozen donuts and I would tear them in half and swallow them whole. My throat hurt and um, sorry, I didn't think this was gonna happen, but you know, I just, I never reached the bottom of those tears over her and um, she got much, she just was kept getting worse. And, and she, I get called three times a week from work. You've got to come and get her. She's, you know, doing this, that, or the other thing. She wrote down in one of her, um, like a, a, a notebook, a homework notebook that she wanted to kill somebody, somebody that she didn't like. And I got called about that. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? 
and you know she was in her own prison and um finally i just i was waiting for her to pick her up at school and i called a friend who i have i've known for for 40 years she was at my wedding and she was i've known her for four, 10 years before that and and she told me that she hadn't picked up in four and a half years and um she this I thought this talk was supposed to be about a vision for you, the meaning. So I was like, yeah, I can talk. Nobody seemed to be getting back to Amy. And I was like, yeah, I can speak on that. Um, but that's what it took for me to reach the bottom. You know, and but my friend was in the car and she goes, You've got to call into this meeting. It's so great. And I was like, all I said, she was going on and on about it. All I said was two words, phone meeting. And, but she was spoke to what I was thinking was, I'm not going to any effing phone meeting, like F them, F you and forget it, no way. And she goes, no, 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 this one's different. You've got to call in. And I was like, huge eye roll. All right, give me the website or give me the number. And she said, no. She said, take, get a pen, I'll wait. And I had just eaten my donuts, the, the trip home donuts. And um, I was covered, my hands were covered with sticky sugar frosting or whatever it is, glaze. Crumbs were everywhere. My steering, everything was sticky. My teeth were caked with donuts and I was so thirsty from all the salt. And, um, but I wrote the number down. I threw it in my tote bag and, um, and it was, I think around Thanksgiving, but I was cleaning out my tote bag on December 1st, which was a Friday. And I found on the third, on, rather on November 30th. And I found that number and I looked at it and I smoothed it out on my, on my counter in my kitchen. And I was like, uh, you know, is this just going to be, you know, here are some of the methods we tried taking a trip, not taking a trip. And my methods were, you know, more meetings, fewer meetings, different meetings and, you know, eat this, don't eat that. Anything that you can think of except for surgery. I never did that. Um, and, you know, I just was like, uh, you know, but I had a doctor's appointment. So I figured I could listen to at seven o'clock and I dialed in and I have not had to hurt myself with food since that day. And, um, but I knew that it wasn't going to be enough because I had felt better before. And, um, you know, so I dipped my toe in and I listened every day for two hours and I got a sponsor. And then, you know, so I did a little more, a little more. And my sponsor is not my friend. I love her, but she's not my friend. I don't, I wouldn't pick her for a friend if she was available, but she's a kick-ass sponsor. And, um, you know, she didn't, she didn't, waver in her um message she didn't i don't think she asked me one time how my daughter was doing which is fine i don't you know i, I wasn't like looking for anybody's pity and i'm still not but um you know i got better and my daughter got much worse and she went to the hospital we went on a wonderful family trip to rome and um we got back she was really impossible on that trip unless we were spending money on her unless she could shop and pick what she wanted but um, we got home and two days later, she was in the hospital for the rest of the summer and into the next school year. And she called me every day, please come and get me. I hate it here. I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll do better. I promise I won't cut myself. Please, please, please. And I was her mother and I had to leave her there. And it was really hard. But, you know, this comes to like the vision for you part. You know, I talked about this last night when I shared about Nancy, um, Nancy L's talk that she gave last night. I made about 9 billion phone calls that summer. And I went to that meeting, to the Vision for You meeting every day for two hours. 
every day without fail. And I went to as many meetings as I could and I talked to people and I still say the same thing. If everyone's, if anyone's ever gotten a phone call from me, it's like, hi, is this Amy B? It's Nancy P from, you know, a vision for you, just making outreach calls. Do you have a few minutes? And it's okay if you don't. And they always say yes, or they say whatever they say. And I say, so tell me about yourself. Are you new to vision or OA or neither or both? You know, what's your story? And, and then they talk and then I talk and, you know, and sometimes those um, phone calls last 20 seconds, sometimes they last five minutes, sometimes they last an hour. They really do. But and I didn't, okay, I didn't talk about my daughter at all, ever. Um, but those people saved me. They saved me. I didn't eat so much as an extra bite, not one grain of rice, not one. And so, you know, I know that all pain is created equal because it all leads to the refrigerator. Who cares how we got there? I binged my brains up because I dinged my manicure, even though I'm gonna get one six days later, a new one. And I couldn't stop eating when my poor girl was in such pain. But, you know, everything changes. Like if I just nurture my spiritual awakening, that surrender, like, I don't know what to do. Just tell me what to do. I will do whatever you say. I will do it. I promise I will do it. And then I do it. You know, my family has never stood in the way, certainly, but they're in their own way. They're super supportive. Like, they don't, my husband still asks me if I have fun at my meetings. Did you have fun at your meeting? And it's like, it's not really sort of a fun thing, but, you know, they're super supportive and they'll do really anything for me. And they understand, do you have calls tonight? You know, that's what, you know, that's what they call when I sponsor, when I have sponsor calls. And, you know, the, the promises in the ninth step have Every single promise that it says in this book has come true for me in spades. And, um, you know, I, I am walking on this road of happy destiny. I'm, I'm trudging, you know, walking, trudging, but it's not a slog anymore. It's become a working part of my mind, just exactly what it says in the book. I mean, if anybody is thinking that they don't know how they can come out of whatever pit they're in, call me <laughs> because, you know, or call anybody, just call people because the fellowship saved me, saved my sanity. And today I can look back on those years. You know, my daughter for all who wanna know is graduated from high school. She got a scholarship to a college. She's doing well. She, um, you know, she's not a social butterfly. She's pretty introverted and she does come home every weekend, but you know, I don't care because she doesn't cut herself anymore. And she's not only that, but she loves her scars. She, she, she loves them because she loves herself. You know, she doesn't want to have, like we went to a dermatologist for something first, the, the cyst that she had and the doctor saw the, um, the scar. She goes, you know, I can do some about those if you want. And I didn't say anything then because I wasn't going to pay for it. But my daughter said, I love my scars. When she went home, when we went home, she said, I love my scars because they show me where I came from. And, um, you know, I chose to get off that elevator when she was hacking herself up and burning herself. And, um, you know, we both came through it. And I came through it because, you know, I had this, this, this buddy, this, this thing that takes care of me all the time. And she came through it because her brain chemistry changed, I think, you know, she's not interested in any, she knows what I do. She doesn't, you know, she's a size four, so she, I don't think she makes any kind of connection. So, um, you know, but I can tell anybody that wants to know that they mean what they say in this book. And, you know, I've heard on, on, in certain podcasts, like if someone tells you 
who they are, you should believe them. And um, this book tells you what the, what the answer is. And so I believe it. And if anybody needs any, any help or any, you know, wants to get any, um, you know, dig, dig a little deeper or dip their toe in a little bit more, I'm happy to go through a chapter or anything like that. This vision is, you know, of my own making, you know, through my own spiritual experience and everybody's vision is their own through their special spiritual experience. And I can tell you that, you know, in spite of my, my tears that are really just a, um, a, an overflowing of emotion, they don't really mean anything. Um, I am, I have never been as happy, even in, even if I cry, even if I'm angry, even no matter what, because I'm not, forget about the food. The food is like a dead rock that I, you know, my abstinence is a dead rock that I stand on. The living, breathing thing that I have is my, is my spiritual wakefulness that right. continues to grow re- richer and deeper with every passing day. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Wow, Nancy, thank you so much for that um, deeply intimate and vulnerable glimpse into your life. Uh, I was, I was touched. Um, so thank you. Um, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. Again, that's chapter 11, Vision for You. We ask that you accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And our lovely Zoom host, Erin, will Call the raise hands in order. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? Okay, over to you, Erin. Amy B first. Thank you, Erin. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Nancy P. Thanks to everybody here tonight um, giving service. Um, Nancy, thank you for, you know, stepping in last minute and talking about this chapter and, you know, it's, it's a vision for you, which talks about how, you know, our vision is that we walk this life together and, you know, you just, we're, we needed a speaker and you're just a part of this community and you stepped up and did it. And, um, you know, and that's what we do with, with this community, we look out for each other, but it's so funny because this chapter really talks about how their house was full of people practicing program. And I think about you and your story with your mother and starting it and, you know, the construction paper, and it's kind of, um, really fitting. Um, I actually wanted to ask a question with regards to, so this chapter talks about making, you know, walking together, trudging the road of happy destiny. And like your, the way that you reach out with people and you say, you know, are you new to vision? Are you new to OA or both or neither or whatever? Um, I know that, you know, you, you share a, a lot about, you know, things that are vulnerable in your experience. So you get people coming to you in states of desperation. How do you, I mean, what do you say? What do you say when somebody calls you sobbing, um, because they, they trust you because of the way that you share. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you handle that? I say that I, I, thanks Amy. I say, I feel their pain because I don't care what their pain is. I frankly don't. I mean, I kind of do, 
but it doesn't matter because if you just distill it down, it's just pain. And I understand pain and I understand fear. And that's, I was trying to tell that to a newcomer the other day. You know, I, I think I shared it last night, you know, this woman, you know, the reason that she felt good is because she was talking to someone who understands. She doesn't have to explain how frightened she is to go to a restaurant or how, how rickety she feels or how shaky she feels. I already understand that. Um, you know, I, I don't have, you know, I understand. And I, I just say that, I mean, I have like some set things that I say, and I always talk about the same thing. I talk about my awakening. And I talk about how I never thought I was ever going to awaken. Like I thought, I used to wake up in the morning and I would know whether or not I was going to eat before I even turned off my alarm, which was a production because I had to drag my 211 pound body across my bed to, you know, slam the button down. And um, I would know if I was going to eat. And so I would be right there and, you know, terror, bewilderment, despair, whatever it says, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, um, you know, and so I just listen to them and I tell them, that it doesn't have to be that way that I use, you know, I don't ever give it. I try never to give advice. I never just say, pick up the phone or, you know, call me or, you know, I don't say that. I actually, lately I've started giving people assignments because they say, I feel so much better. And I said, good. I say, good. Your assignment is to call me in a week to let me know how you're doing. And people are doing that. People will call me and say, hi, it's whoever. I never remember who they are, but it doesn't, I don't care because I have, you know, like I'll tell everybody the same thing. You know, I, I want everybody to be, to know that they're not junk and that this is equally for everybody. You know, they're, everybody deserves the same amount of sunshine that I have. Thank you, Amy and Nancy. Next up, we have Steph F. Guys, can you hear me? This is Stephanie. I'm a compulsive eater and bulimic in Florida. Um, Nancy, I really appreciated your share. I really appreciated you being so willing to be vulnerable. Um, and it kind of brought something up from my own life that I want to share a little bit about, if that's okay. Um, when you were talking about some of the things that happened with your child and the way that you felt, you didn't use the word guilt, but I, I read into that, that maybe there was some guilt, guilty feelings there. And one of the things that I believe has been a big driver of my eating disorder and my compulsive eating has been a lot of guilt as a parent. Um, I, I can't believe I'm sharing this. This is hard to talk about. Um, I've done a fourth step and a fifth step on this, but I am a carrier of a disease that causes blindness. And I've passed that on to my son. Um, I, as a female, I'm not affected, but my child will lose his vision over time. And I have struggled with tremendous guilt over this, over the years. And so I want, wondered, Nancy, if you could talk a little bit about self-forgiveness and how you kind of work your program in that realm. Uh, oh my God, uh, you know, you, you're absolutely right. I have, I, well, I don't, not anymore. I had tremendous guilt and the same, you know, my daughter is like surgically, um, precise at getting under my skin even today. I mean, I'm not perfect, but in my ninth step, I wrote my ideal about how I was gonna, what I wanted to be, how I wanted to be a parent of a daughter and how I wanted to be a parent of a son and how, what, a, what kind of a wife I wanted to be, et cetera. And what kind of a member of the community because otherwise I'd be like, what kind of an employee, what kind of a manager, whatever. I couldn't write them all, but mostly I did my, 
mother of a daughter, mother of a son, wife, sibling, and excuse me, member of the community. And when I made my amends to my daughter, um, I didn't say to, to my entire family. I don't say I don't use the word sorry or apologize because those have been so overused by me that they they have no meaning anymore. And I thought about it. I thought, what? How can I? How can I? How can I mend this? How can I heal this? And and um, what I decided to do was to acknowledge my behavior. And what I said to my daughter was. You know, I took her out to lunch. She loves to go out to lunch. And she and so I said, um, I want you to know that, um, you know, you see me on the phone a lot with my, you know, on my calls. That's what they call everything, a call. Do you have a call? <laughs> and you see me on the phone a lot with my calls. I said, and, and I've been working on myself, you know, on some of my um, problems for a long time. And I, you know, I've come to the point in, in the process of fixing myself that it's time for me to, um, make things right with the people that I love. So I want you to know that um, I was a yelling mother and I don't like to be yelled at. And that must have really been painful for you to always be on the receiving end of my screaming. And she nodded her head and that was like a tear, a knife. You know, she didn't do anything wrong. All she did was agree with me. <laughs> you know, like I, I took responsibility for my behavior. And I said to her, I said, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. And I can't say that I'll never do it, but I want you to know that I don't want to do it. And, um, and if you could help me, then I, I can be better. And she said that she would. And I have to say that like one of the things that I did that they hated was that they, well, they never said that they hated it, but I'd finish making dinner and I'd scream out dinner in the, in the kitchen. And if nobody came, I'd shriek dinner. And then I'd go up the stairs, bang, 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 bang. I said dinner. Well, would you like to come to dinner with an invitation like that? I certainly wouldn't. And so, you know, they'd come down and they'd be like, you know, exhausted from their dinner invitation. So today, one of the things that I do is no matter what, I go up the stairs or down the stairs or into the yard or wherever they are. And I say, dinner's on the table. I do not raise my voice. And I have to say that I really don't raise my voice anymore to my, to my kids and, or to my husband. I mean, that I learned a long, you know, that, like that's old news. I don't raise, he, that's like yelling at a wall. He doesn't pay any attention, um, but it's unpleasant. And I don't want to do that. And I did ask my daughter once, you know, did she think that my behavior had anything to do with her cutting? with her self-harm. And um, she thought about it because, you know, she doesn't lie. She's not a liar. I mean, she's a, she's a manipulator, but she, you know, if you ask her point blank, like she has a tattoo that I did not know about. And I said, what is that on your back? She said, it's a tattoo. I said, I thought to myself, surely I must know about that. And I said, did I know about that? Or was that a secret? She said, it was a secret. I said, oh, and I was like, oh, my God, she has a tattoo. She's going to be a prostitute. She's going to die in a dumpster. Oh, my God. You know, that didn't happen. But so I know that she's not a liar. So I asked her, I said, do you think that my screaming and yelling caused your, you know, your anxiety? And she said, no. And I had to say, I had to take her word for it. But I look at her now and, um, you know, this is what, only three years later, three and a half years later, or maybe three years later. And you know, I have to just keep going. And I can say that I, I don't wallow in guilt, but I often think about my behavior, but we don't wish to shut the, forget the past nor wish to shut the door on it. You know, I am what I am. I needed to do what I did 
to get to where I am today. You know, so that's what I can say about that. Thank you. I'm going to interrupt now. This is the time for unrecorded shares. So Aaron, if you would be so kind as to stop the recording. <laughs>